Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Well, I've been wanting to have this man on the podcast basically since its inception. Someone who many of us, including me, owe a great debt to, both in terms of expanding the NBA media universe and also directly helping many of our careers as well. He's now rebooting the True Hoop site. True Hoop himself, Henry Abbott. How are you doing? I didn't know it was going to be all embarrassing on the intro. Thanks for all those nice things you said, Nate. Pleasure to be uh, here. I got all this nice shit I'm going to say about you later, too, actually. Oh, <laughs> so, right on. Okay. So just, just, just uh, I'll warn you beforehand, though. Uh, how's it going, man? It's, it's, it's great good. to have you back. No, it's great to be back. It's great to be back. I'm in the attic of my house where I spent um, 22 months, basically. <laughs> so, I mean, I wasn't like, <laughs> I wasn't like under house arrest. <laughs> but, um, but I had a weird sabbatical, um, and I'm looking at the books I read. I read this huge shelf of books, and I'm a little bit of like a curious mind, and so I just like learned a ton, and I you know went way down the rabbit hole. But now it's and that was fun. That was a, it was a real treat. I spent tons of time with my family, who were the best. Um, I had a wonderful time during those 22 months. But now it's like all the stuff that I learned from these books and from watching basketball and talking to people and interviewing people and flying around the country. Um, now I get to like do it right like i'm a in the end i'm one of those like dogs that likes to run you know and now i get to go run which is pretty cool it feels great it feels great to be out yeah. of the cage you, yeah. you're well you're also a human who likes to run it as it turns out uh but uh, yeah that's having true. played basketball with you I, I can attest to that wait actually i do i you sent me some topics and i want to hit those but the, i, I realized like i have one topic that i want to ask you about which is okay when we play basketball together um even though I'm under the impression that you're vastly younger than me, you have way more contraptions and doodads that you put on your body before the game starts. And oh, I kind of want you to catalog those for me. Oh, man. <laughs> right? Well, I used, to, I used to actually be just a normal person. And then I, I tore up my knee. I did my patellar tendon, ACL, and meniscus all at once. And actually, the first time I met you at Sloan, you won't remember this, but I... I We'd had like some brief interactions on Twitter beforehand. I went up and nervously introduced myself, and uh, it, you know, you you're like, "Oh, well, how come you didn't come to the uh, pickup game yesterday?" I was like, "Well, you know, I, I, I had this did this injury. I listed it all off." And he's like, "Well, yeah. How about next year you uh, you don't tear your ACL, meniscus, and uh, patellar tendon?" <laughs> that was, that was like, is that the worst knee injury there is? Like, uh, supposedly, it only happens in football and car crashes basketball i don't know how i did it playing basketball no one who was even there was able to tell me then i decided to drive home afterwards that wasn't a good idea either it was like a 45 minute drive uh i was not able to get out of my, out of my car i had to like get, get assistance are you now at, at this stage of your life are you someone who does or does not watch like for instance the nurkic injury video uh 
I don't. If I know that it's bad, I decide not to watch. Like I've never yeah. seen Sean Livingston. Yeah. I've never seen Karis LeVert. I haven't seen Nurkic. Yeah. Uh, but so, but but anyway, to answer <laughs> your question, which I was clearly deflecting. So I've definitely I've definitely got the compression tights. Highly recommend this brand called Skins from Australia. A, okay. a buddy of mine who skis recommended. I, I find them far superior to uh, the Nike and Adidas offerings. Uh, so check those out they also make a great brand of uh recovery tights that you put on afterwards which of course mm-hmm. is highly necessary uh then i've got a, a few foam rollers back in the day it was foam now i've gotten to where i actually use like a piece of pvc pipe that i, got, I, I buy have from home yeah. depot yeah. yeah yeah because yeah you need it for running right like your it bands yeah and other places yeah for sure Whatever's um, whatever's I'm 45, man. You what you you put that thing wherever you need to. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I tu- I actually just turned 39, so I'm uh. uh but uh, and then I wear knee pads because when you have knee injuries and you bang your knee into someone or the floor, it is very painful. Um, let's see what else. I, I don't do much of it with like the upper body. I don't have any like the sleeves or anything like that. Uh, I do carry like a yoga strap to do like some overhead squats with to kind of warm my hips up before I play. It's really like the whole reason I don't play anymore is just, it's like such a production to even like, I spend more time warming up than like actually playing. Like I used to show up and just play for three hours. And now I'm still there for three hours, but like an hour and a half of that is like actually warming up or like cooling down and doing a bunch of stretching. So it's, uh, it's miserable. When we went to the Thorpe's train, like a pro thing, however many years ago that was like more than 10, um, there was a one of his coworkers down at there was an IMG at the time was like, uh, hey, like who here plays basketball to stay in shape? And we all raised our hands. And he's like, and who here is over thirty five? And maybe half of us have our hands up. And he's like, okay, so for you guys, you used to play basketball to stay in shape, but now you have to stay in shape to play basketball. <laughs> like, oh <Yes>. bummer. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is that is uh, that is all too true. Um, <laughs> So, so now that we've uh, self-aggrandized ourselves <laughs> with uh, how how old and, and useless we are, um, let's talk a little bit. You mentioned that you've like spent all this time uh, in your in your attic. I'm imagining you with the lights off, your face aglow with like eight different monitors of basketball games. Maybe like rubbing one of those balls. Uh, uh, um, although I guess that yeah, that 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 image just kind of falls apart now that I think think about what you look like of like the guy rubbing the ball and like the the hair like standing up from the movie but <laughs> yeah like that but, thing uh, that like that thing the saudis gave trump like that thing like you know what i'm talking about <laughs> but anyway, where did so, i put that thing where the hell is that thing this <laughs> should be here so but you've uh you've presumably i'm guessing in the last five years come up with some because you're always you maybe one of the most curious basketball minds that i know what have you learned about basketball you say in the last five years Oh, it's such an interesting question. Um, re- okay, so a really quick answer is there are so many proud, brilliant, I'm going to say men because they almost all are men, who ha- were like the titans of the game when I started covering it, who I now know were sort of fundamentally incorrect on a number of key issues about the game, which I take no particular joy in that. But this whole kind of like, oh, well, you know, Larry Bird said this or Magic Johnson said that or whoever it is, like they can be really, really smart and really, really knowledgeable about this and just have been completely wrong about, for instance, three pointers, right? They just were. It's sad to say, but um, the league as described by the titans of the league 
is not the league of today, right? Like Charles Barkley with his stupid jump shots don't win championships. He's just got to stop with that. Like it's completely the North Pole of wrong, right? So I learned that. It, that kind of rattled my whole world where it's like, you know, we're going like you and me, Nate, and a bunch of people listening to this will have to be the ones to figure out what's true in basketball because we can't listen to those guys, right? It's it's hard work, but we're gonna have to do it. Um, That's one thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that, I mean, that's really... To, to react to that that's kind of depressing right it, like it's so and it's so easy to just be able to point to gravitas of oh well this guy said this so it has to be true he's won five championships so i'm a like and you still get that from fans a lot too right like when you when you criticize a coaching decision or a, a roster is like yeah i think uh you know when you've uh, won as much as Greg Popovich has, or, or you know when you've won five championships like magic like may, maybe i'll listen to what you have to say yeah, I mean, I'm all for, like, everybody gets to feel however they want to feel, right? I don't want to tell you that you shouldn't listen to Magic or whoever you want to listen to. That's fine. But if we're getting down to the question of, like, what works on the court, um, we just can't do it that way. Like, those feelings can't drive it, right? So, I mean, heaven forbid, like, when you got your knee surgery that I assume you got, heaven forbid the doctor went with, like, the biggest name experts on what the technique was. It's like, no, they use science, right? Like people study that. Like you should attach this ligament in that way because it is demonstrated over time with big populations to work better than if you do it a different way, right? Like that's the only right approach. There's not, you can't just go yeah. with, oh, well, famous surgeon said this. So that's what we're going to go with. It's like just, that's a substitute for studying it, right? You're saying I don't want to do the work of studying it, which is fine. I don't want to do the work of studying like which restaurant's best to go to. Really, I just let's just go to have a nice meal. It's fine. We can use feelings for these things that aren't central, and this is entertainment ultimately. But sometimes we want to get into like why are the Warriors so good? And you know you can't listen to Charles Barkley on that one. He's not helpful there, right? He doesn't have answers that will bear out over time. And if you're an owner, you don't want to like try to emulate the Warriors with a Charles Barkley like approach because it won't work, <laughs> right? Like actually, just on this question, the Bucks to me are one of the most fascinating teams right now because. Like, why are they so much better than they used to be? You know what I mean? It's a real basketball yeah. question, right? A whole bunch of things changed. Herb Cole owned that team forever. And they were always mediocre at best, right? Different owners, different management, different coaching. And suddenly, they're the only team that's scary to the Warriors. Like, what? What? And it's not as simple as, like, Giannis, right? It's, there's more, it's more complicated than that. Um, you know, the right answers to those questions are not available on television, <laughs> but, uh, but they're available. Like, even, you know, you, you got yeah. Ben Falk on here and really pick his brain. You're going to learn some stuff, right? Like people, it's not unknowable stuff, right? But it's, uh, it's complicated and it's, it's more you learn from the attic than from the TV. <laughs> Let's take a quick break here to tell you about Quip. I am on the road as I record this in Redding, California, on my way up to Portland for the Nike Hoop Summit. And I've got my trusty Quip toothbrush with me I use it at home as well, but it's especially awesome for travel. It's the size of a normal toothbrush, but it's electric, and you don't have to worry about charging it. You don't have to bring that bulky charger with you or make sure that you charge it before you leave because it's got a battery that lasts for three months. It's also got this really nice multi-use cover. You can throw that on the top of it, put it in your top kit, and then when you get to your destination, take it off. It makes a stand or you can mount it on your mirror as well. If you're one of our urban listeners who doesn't have much counter space in your bathroom, being able to mount it on your mirror is awesome. If you don't use an electric toothbrush yet, you're doing your oral health a disservice. You probably have sweater teeth, which is what my sister used to call it, when you can feel the plaque on your teeth. And I didn't realize until I started using an electric toothbrush, just how much better they actually are, both in terms of actually making you brush 
for the requisite two minutes, making sure you spend the same amount of time on each quadrant because they have a pulse every 30 seconds that lets you know to move on. And the fact that the vibrations do a better job than you manually brushing in getting plaque off, getting that plaque out along the gum line, which is a tricky spot for a lot of people. That's why Quip is backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. And it starts at just 25 bucks, much less expensive than other electric toothbrushes. You go to getquip.com slash capspace right now. You can get your first refill pack for free. And of course, let them know with that slash capspace URL that you came from us. That's getquip.com slash capspace. Getquip.com slash capspace is that URL. Um, all right, so what's a, that's an awesome one. What's your next one? Um, all right, I am not sold on the league's financial future. I know all the, si- the signals are up, but right now, all of the bills are being paid, essentially, practically every dollar of salary, and then some is paid by the U.S. national broadcast of games on cable, right? Um, every part of that is tenuous as hell right now, right? Mm-hmm. I there, It's just not, like, I don't... I, I know I'm wrong about this, but uh, it seems to me the way I, I live my life and with the young people that I know that none of them ever watch whole games. Um, they might watch some YouTube. They can, you know, even people who consider themselves NBA fans at 11 years old are not staying up late to watch a two and a half hour thing with commercials every few minutes, right? It's the own, and so somebody's going to bid on the, you know, what I think it's 2024. The TV deals up. I predict the NBA will get a huge amount of money for those rights from somebody, and that person will lose a metric ton of money on that deal, um, unless there's a product that we don't know yet that pays for it. Um, You know, something on a phone, something global, something instant gratification, something amazing, but it is not going to be large numbers of people watching Chili's commercials in the middle of a three-hour broadcast. It's just There's just no way that's what it is. And right now, that's the only thing that really pays the bills. So we got to find out what the NBA's next killer product is, or it's going to be hard times. And it, it might be a decade out, but I think the time is now to sort out what the product is. Yeah, that's a, a really interesting question. You can make the argument that you know, live TV sports rights have still been going up in spite of declining live TV viewership. And that maybe you can say, well, sure, viewership is declining, but it's declining less in this fractious media environment than anything else is. And so maybe that's still worth something that, and that maybe just the association with the, the NBA brand is enough. I don't know the answer to that question or not. I don't know whether, it's worth it for these companies that pay for it. Oh, we can promote our, our other programming or yeah, maybe people aren't watching whole games, but more people are kind of just getting in for 15 minutes and whether that's good enough. Yeah. I I don't know the answer to that. I, I do think though, with the changing landscape, whether it's more subscription packages, maybe there's going to be kind of a tightening of things where, you know, everything else is becoming niche. And so now the NBA is going to become more niche as well, but maybe for the people who do really care, they can sell subscriptions and it's not going to be on free TV, some of the stuff anymore. Um, I mean, we're trying to do this NBA cast, which hopefully they'll open up more of this stuff to alternate broadcasters that that can make things more interesting for certain people. Uh, but I, I agree. I have a, a level of concern the way you do. Um, I, I don't think it's inevitable, but I definitely think just the, the overall landscape is a concern. And then also, I guess the global aspect of it too is, is the other thing. Like, how are they really, it seems like they really have not been able to monetize that very much. You'd probably know more about that than I would. I mean, they're good at it. 
compared to the other leagues, that's for sure, right? They have this huge staff in China and they have an office in India and London and, um, and, you know, I actually once did a fascinating interview with an investment banker who is intimately involved with all this. And he was like, Oh no, they're good. Like the NBA is the, the creme de la creme at that. And one of the statistics, which really impressed me was, and I don't know if this is still true, but it was the day that he talked to me. He's like, right now on shelves in China, the NBA logo is on 1 billion cartons of milk. And he also pointed out this other thing, which is the NBA is, is the brand of global basketball. It's not true of any other league in any other sport. Like the, like premiership soccer is, you know, in China is like Man U and yeah. Arsenal, right? The league doesn't have its presence there. Um, but the NBA is so far ahead of the game that they are poised to really be like the body that monetizes the global popularity of the sport at its highest level, which is potentially tremendously valuable. But it's really not the case that like, you know, if you, if you go on a round the world uh, trip with your phone and you want to just watch NBA as you go, I mean, forget it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. the only way you can do it is illegal, right? Um, but the NBA would, I think, be wise to have some way that you could give them five bucks or whatever the amount is and, and get that. So I think they have to figure it out. Uh, you know, you mentioned all these experiments that you're participating in and, you know, we're trying some stuff here too. And I think if I were the NBA, I'd be like, here's some grants, right? Like everybody just try stuff, please. Cause we need to see what connects, <laughs> right? Like something's going to connect and yeah. with young people. And I don't pretend to know what it is, but the game right now is structured for commercials, right? Like, like we go in the arena, it, all the air is let out of the building every few minutes because they need to stop everything for the commercials. And it's stupid, right? It, it makes a horrible experience for everyone other than the fact that those commercials, I'm not using air quotes, pay all the bills. Like they don't anymore. They don't pay all the bills. Something else will have to pay all the bills. In which case, why do we need all these? Why are the, um, why is a nationally broadcast game so many more minutes long than a local one? It's like, well, cause there's a lot of money at stake there, right? Like those, yeah. those minutes of pausing the game are valuable. Um, that's changing. And then if you're not pausing for this million dollars or that million dollars, but you're pausing for, you know, a quarter of that, do you still want to pause it? You know, do you still need Steph to sit over there looking bored, waiting to play basketball again? Like, can't yeah. we just have him go play? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think having like, you know, a minute of commercials more than two minutes and 30 seconds of commercials could be a lot more effective. Um, Because then at least you're not necessarily going to get up, you know, you like, uh, I, I, you're, it's not enough time where you're like, okay, I'm going to take out my phone and like really getting gross in Twitter or change the channel or something. That's like enough of it. And maybe you still show the, you know, player, the huddles or whatever in the corner or something like, like enough where you can, and maybe you could charge more for those commercials too. I, I do think that that's just an interesting concept overall of, you know, should they make things a little more scarce? say regular season games uh and could they charge more for it or not you know i think that's something that's never adequately uh been studied um yeah i i really i think part of what's limiting them right now is they sold these in 2014 which is really very much an inflection point you know that's kind of like the, the high of espn and the most number of cable subscriptions and, and all that stuff uh so they sold these to espn and, and tnt in 2014 and they're exclusive rights i mean they're really limited in what they can do they can sell league pass they can do stuff internationally but you can't just do let people just come in and do an alternate streaming you know unless they work for espn or tnt and those networks are trying to work with that a little bit but they're also very wary of diluting their primary product uh so yeah i think 
the league would probably like to be more creative, but they're just limited because they've given these exclusive contracts for everything to TNT and, and ESPN. Yeah, and there's, I mean, this is like probably not of general NBA interest, but um, I do think there's also a question of product. So in the cable television world, the people who run it are people for whom the product has always been very clearly defined, right? There's a game broadcast, there's a studio show, and there's really nothing else. Like you didn't have to even brainstorm, right? It's just like, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And the way they do those two things has hardly evolved whatsoever, right? As you know, as soon as you put something on the internet, the question of what is the product is immense and vast and requires daily innovation and brainstorming, right? Like, you know, you and I could both today be involved in creating, well, right now a podcast, but, you know, something on every single social media platform ever created, something behind a paywall, something free, um, a long story, a short story, uh, animation, there's, like, there's everything. And there's a lot of wrong answers in there. And it takes a totally different person to run that company, right? So um, if you're the person who's used to not thinking about that, you don't want the answer to be one of those innovative things, right? You want the answer to be studio show or game broadcast, right? Because if it's a, some other thing, some weird thing, some new thing, you're not the right person to run that. Right. So I think there's just this kind of inherent tension of uh, the companies that have most profited from cable TV are not the ones that are going to innovate the thing that's going to replace cable TV. Right. Yeah. Nevertheless, they spend a lot of money on that shit, too. Oh, like, it's real. like it's insane how much money they spend on those broadcasts and how much of it is just grandfathered in. And oh, we have to do it this way. And this is how much it costs. Yeah. As opposed to, I, I mean, from the amount of money that they pay the broadcasters and all the equipment and, and like, it, you know, it's really like a, a remarkable amount of money. It is, it is. And, there, and we all buy into it, right? Like we all kind of feel like um, something happens on TV, it's a big deal. Uh, actually, like a, a, total, a total pet peeve of mine is the way, first of all, I don't think anybody should have a job where they cover sports media, like as a journalist. That is so weird to me. I can't imagine people care. I work in sports media and I don't people care. People care. People care. Okay. But in that world, the way sports media is covered, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to like divulge a bunch of like trade, uh, numbers or whatever, but I'm here to tell you that like, if something happens on TV in the sports media world, it is a, Big deal. Um, even if the number of people consuming it are a fraction of the people who are consuming an equivalent thing online. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, like there's just, we all spend all of our time on our phones reading stuff about the NBA, but we think it's only a big deal when somebody's on TV talking about the NBA. Only then is it like a, a, a famous thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's, it, the, that emperor is wearing fewer and fewer clothes every day for me, where it's just like, this is crazy. If you go, you know, read like whatever sports media columnist, analyst, whatever, like it's basically a hundred percent about who's in a studio wearing makeup. And that's not how we spend our time anymore. It's just not like, it's just, it's just, that's not what matters. It's not how you reach people. It's a, it's, it's a small and dwindling audience compared to everyone who follows the NBA in some fashion, right? A billion people are following some NBA social media account, uh, the NBA says, and way less than a billion are watching anyone wearing makeup in a studio. So, all right, we've, we're about 20 minutes in. And, <laughs> Halfway uh, through your first question. Through, yeah. <laughs> all right. Do, do, do you have any other one or should, or should we move on here? Uh, I mean, we, probably should, we probably should move on. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is another one here questions that you uh, about basketball that you are looking for answers to it uh, that you 
I, I mean, maybe not actively, but that you really would love to have answered. Maybe is is a better way to put it. Um, yeah, this just feels like a like a like a, a fat softball with a middle plate for what I'm actually obsessed with right now today and going to publish on Troop tomorrow, which is uh, the touching off this series on um, the work that it takes to become not just a, a NBA level athlete, but one of the very most athletic NBA athletes, right? So the work that it takes to become, uh, name your player, uh, who you're picturing right now. Yeah. Giannis. Giannis yeah. Giannis, Russell Westbrook, whatever. LeBron in his prime, etc. Um, sure. Uh, it, it, it's disproportionately uh, the very most elite athletes in all sports at that thing are obsessive, right? Um, diagnosably, I'm not saying everyone we just named is, has, I'm not diagnosing them, but I'm saying that the, the habits that drive you to get there, um, tend to make you socially a little different, right? And we generally celebrate that. We generally say like, oh, this is the same guy who can't sleep after a loss, or this is the same guy who has these weird rituals in pregame or all of these things, right? So this is one of the things that all these books on my shelf up here are about is what's happening in our brains there, right? And, uh, I had this, uh, and LeBron is the focus of that part of the story. Like LeBron as a teammate is a little difficult and we're going to explore that. And, uh, it's pretty obvious, but it's difficult for the exact reason that he's such a good athlete, right? The exact part of him that's like, it's wrong. He's, you know, like there, I have some reporting that, you know, LeBron thinks you're a slacker and not taking the game seriously. If you show up only 15 minutes before the workout, right? He's been there for two or three hours already and he's got a full lather going and, He's mad. Or, you know, he's steamed at his teammates who only come 15 minutes early. And if you're late, well, we already know, right? And when he was new to Cleveland and playing with young players, he was all over Twitter, just pet, you know, hashtag pet peeve about people being late for anything, right? This is how LeBron became all at once, like one of the very biggest by every measure, one of the very strongest and at times arguably the fastest player in the history of the league all at the same time. It's an, he's an unheard of athlete, but it doesn't come with like, Think about Steph's teammates, right? Think about everything. Think about Ethan Sherwood Strauss's article about everything Draymond Green has done wrong, like Snapchatting his speedometer as he's zooming through the tunnel of Oakland, whatever. A million things with social media and strippers and, you know, this, that, punching this guy, all that stuff, right? Steph's able to perform at a high level and cock an eyebrow and be like, oh, okay, that's what Draymond's doing, all right? You know, um, LeBron's not <laughs> like that, right? LeBron's like, he should have been in the gym, right? He should never have done any of these stupid things, Uh that's attention, right? LeBron's less valuable as a team leader than Steph is, I think, because Steph's because he's Steph's just more tolerant, right? Um, and that means more different kinds of players can succeed alongside Steph. Whereas LeBron's had just this parade of like Mike Miller's the the, the top of the mountain here, right? Or Ray Allen, these guys who are like they might not be bouncy, they might not be able to light you up um, with dunks and stuff, but gosh darn it, they'll show show up to work on time or super early, and those are the players LeBron has gravitated to. Yeah. In fairness, LeBron has had a few reclamation projects, like J.R. Smith. He got a lot out of him, yes. for example. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, in some ways, it's even younger guys, too, who have potential where he is expects them to to evolve the way he did, which, you know, isn't necessarily fair to them, or maybe is in the case of some of these guys. But yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, and definitely, you know, LeBron on court as well shows a lot more body language and frustration than something like Steph or, or maybe like Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan. Those those guys are examples of the more quiet leadership, but you can still be really good if you're like those guys as well. You know, I don't think you have to be 
uh you know just so driven and obsessive to the point of irritating people to be that good necessarily yeah for sure i mean look i I'm writing this with a lot of love as someone who wrestles with the same thing, right? Like I, you know, I, I'm very concerned by the best way to do things, right? And, yeah. um, a lot of my career could be defined by sort of like what works best, right? So once you know that, once you've the, learned that. This is that, why you can only work with Thorpe, right? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, uh, but once you, once you've kind of examined these things, right? So, um, or, or, or let me wait. What yeah, you mentioned I, skins, I, it, I think. Is that what they're called? The Australian tights that you wear? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you've done the homework on this, right? You tried the Nike, you tried the whatever, and you're like, oh, the skins are definitely better. Like, yeah. It's now not as easy for you, I would guess, to nod along if some young person in your life says, like, oh, these Nike tights are great, right? Like, some part of you is like, well, actually, you know, like, now you're kind of a jerk, right? Now you're kind of socially weird, right? Because you've done your homework on this. Like, LeBron's done his homework on everything in the NBA, right? Like, which means when one of his teammates is Snapchatting the speedometer going in the tunnel, he's like, no, nah, that's wrong, right? <laughs> like, that's not, yeah. that's not what you do. And, uh, you know, it, it's socially kind of dicky. I think that's really where it lands. It's not evil. Yeah. It's just kind of dicky. And it's less fun to work with that guy than it is the guy who's like, hey, man, it takes all kinds. <laughs> you know, like, that's a, that's a team-wise, a superior way to be. Not something I'm good at. Um, but something I work on. Yeah, you know, that's like a yeah a defining project of my adult life is like just be less of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean that's kind of funny that you say that. I, I mean my my joke about Thorpe aside, I mean you you like have brought so many people into the fold with like the True Hoop Network and stuff. Uh, that surprises me to hear you say that because you're like you've worked with so many people and like no one ever has anything bad to say about you so congratulations on uh successfully hiding that aspect of your personality <laughs> i guess i mean i'm a little bit of a know-it-all right like you could you yeah. could probably play back the tape of this conversation and detect that um so i know i i've done an imperfect job of learning how to manage that um but yeah there's like I, there's a there's a little weird thing with my career right which is I was very public, right? I, I know that for many years, I published more words than anybody in the history of ESPN.com, right? And, and a lot of them were personal. Um, how I Met My Wife is somewhere on the True Archives. Like, it's very personal stuff. And then I was hidden, right? Then I was a manager. I was a boss uh, managing all of these people and really getting a crash course in the kind of teamwork I'm talking about right now. And like, that was all secret, right? So like the part where I really learned all this was like, late night conversations with Baxter Holmes, right? Or, or, yeah. or, you know, Jackie McMullen is stuck in like, or the, actually one of the best is like the Uber driver left with the laptop that has Jackie McMullen's books, only copy of her book on it. Like this kind of stuff, like, Oof. you know, this is where she got it back. Um, but, uh, and then we talked about the cloud, <laughs> but, uh, but I think, you know, the part of my life where I've been a, a, a more social team focused guy was mostly in secret, but now it's, it's a big thing I learned. It's a big, I love it. I love being part of a team like that now. It's my favorite thing. I value that more than like getting an A on the test or whatever, like a solo accomplishment would be. I so much prefer, or even as a runner, I, yeah, okay. I, I've run marathons and I train hard and then it's, you know, gotten good times or whatever. I don't even care anymore. The thing I love is the relay race, the thing where you're in and out of the van with the people high fiving and hugging each other. Like I'm all about that now. That's what I, that's where the magic is for me. So that's where like, that's why I'm writing about this teamwork stuff is because it's, it's, it's what I've had to learn as an adult. It's, it feels new and fresh and meaningful to me. Yeah, you know what I love is uh, not being out of breath. That's actually <laughs> that's also fun. That, yeah, that, that's that, that I'm into. Let's take a quick break from talking with Henry here to tell you about Everlane. 
Everlane is the first clothing company I'm aware of that is actually radically transparent about every step in their process. The materials they use, their real costs, the ethical factories that they work with. They use only the finest materials, Japanese denim, Italian made leather shoes. Their clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. And hey, guess what? You're not paying $50 for a t-shirt that costs $7 to make anymore either. I was really a huge fan of their shorts. My wife helped me pick them out. A little shorter than I might normally wear, I'll be honest, as a child of the 90s. But as a married man, my wife's opinion is all that matters now. And she thought that their shorts were awesome. Their Japanese denim, which I mentioned before already, is fantastic as well. They've got outerwear made from recycled water bottles. Their women's clothing is really high quality. And you can feel great about giving it as a gift due to the ethical transparency that the company is known for. The way to get started with them is everlane.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. And you also get hooked up with free shipping on your first order at that slash capspace URL. Once again, everlane.com slash capspace, everlane.com slash capspace. Um, but, you know, it's it's funny because it does take to do what we do and actually come to some conclusions that are different than the mainstream, which you know, are not necessarily going to be right. You do have to have some level of arrogance. There. I mean, when you were writing, you know, in the late 2000s about, hey, maybe Kobe Bryant actually isn't the greatest clutch player of all time. If you do something like, oh, I don't know, count the number of makes and misses <laughs> that he has in that situation, which uh, apparently no one had ever thought to do at the time. Uh, <laughs> like, it, it, that's like, I mean, you got so much shit for that, right? I mean, it, but to do that and actually be like, no, I'm going to see whether this thing that everyone thinks is true, I'm going to actually look at it and, hey, I'm going to trust what my research says rather than what everyone else says. I mean, you, and, and it's true on the basketball court too, right? You, like, Jimmy Butler, if he had listened to everyone who told him how to develop his career, he would have just been some three and D guy and he would have made, you know, 10 million a year or something. And instead he worked on his game so much that he became like a near superstar level of player and a guy who could do all this stuff with the ball in his hands that no one ever thought he could do because he didn't listen to everyone else and because he was arrogant about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I'm, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I think I've just, <laughs> that part always came easy to me, you know, like, like, like I, I just, I, the whole like moment where someone has to say like, like if we're in the car and it's going the wrong way and everyone feels like they don't want to hurt the driver's feelings or whatever. Like I'm, I've always been the guy who's like, guys, like turn around, <laughs> you know, like, like, oh man, <laughs> like it's just, I've been that guy. And, uh, and I value it. I, you know, I, I could tell you that it, all the reasons it matters or whatever. Um, and you outlined some beautifully. Um, but it's much more interesting to me if you can, you know, I think being right is almost a commodity at this point. There's so many smart people, especially where you live. There's so many brilliant people doing so many things and so many people have done their homework and, and have read up on the thing and have earned the right to stake some claim that like this or that or whatever. And I, I tell, I know one of your questions is about career. Like, how do you get into this business? I actually think being smart and being correct is a commodity at this point. Like Google's correct. AI is smart. Um, the real trick is, can you get other people on board? You know, can you yeah. can you rally people yeah. to this cause? And in which case, can you build a team? Um, you know, or Jimmy Butler's a great example. I, I he's right about managing his career, and I'm still looking for any evidence that he's got anybody else on board. Yeah. Um. You know, and that's where the magic is. That's how you win championships. That's yeah. why the Bucks just crushed the Sixers the other night. That game I went to, like, <laughs> like that. Also, because Jimmy Butler didn't play. Okay, but um, but uh, 
but yeah, I think that's the that's what work is about in 2019 moving forward. Yeah, although I also think too that uh, being willing to acknowledge when you are wrong and like try to improve your process is also a commodity too. I mean, I think that's yes, like actually going back it and looking at whether I mean there are plenty of people who are willing to make predictions and and make statements, but you know are just all right. Well, that's out there in the ether because I did the show yesterday and uh, you know that was six months ago and no one remembers it now. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do want to get get to some of the career stuff a little bit uh, later, but. Uh, this is one of the questions that I am really interested in is how much does locker room drama, however you want to define that, you know, whether it's what we saw at the Warriors this year, whether it's what we saw at the Celtics this year, how much does that actually matter? How, is it just a media creation because people are interested in the male soap opera aspect of this business? Or does that actually really hurt you on the court? And how would you even try to determine that empirically? I have two quotes on the wall in my crazy man attic, uh, both of which apply to what you're saying. One of them is from uh, Daniel Kahneman. You know who he is. Uh, sure. No one ever made a decision because of a number. They need a story. Um, the other one is from Daniel Coyle, who's like a, a, a friend and a hero of mine. He's, he wrote The Talent Code and Culture Code and the book um, The Hidden Race, which was really the book that brought down Lance Armstrong. Um, he says... Um, when we hear a fact, a few isolated areas of our brain light up. And when we hear a story, however, our brain lights up like Las Vegas. So I think, you know, I don't know. Like every instance of locker room drama is a different soap opera with a different sort of sure. beginning, middle and end. And some of them probably matter more than anything. And some of them probably don't matter at all. But I know that when it gets emotional, it starts to feel like our lives. We can relate to that. Like I can't relate to dunking over people, but I can relate to being chapped at a coworker. Right, that feels real to me, and it doesn't feel real because it's going to drive a championship. It's because yearning is like every story, every Hollywood movie is about yearning, right? Every single one, because that's what we do, that's what we care about, that's what we think about, that's what we gravitate to. So I think it's it's always going to be how humans take in stories because it lights up our brains like Vegas when it's emotional, right? Um, is it going to actually decide who wins the championship? Like, you know, probably not. Um, probably matters more to be like, you know, taking quality shots and passing the ball to the open guy and playing good D. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's my question. It's like, how does this actually manifest itself on the court? I could see it being, all right, you're not playing good defense. You're not helping your teammate. You're not giving as much effort. If you're telling me a guy who used to be a 40% three point shooter is now going to shoot 29% because of some locker room drama, I, uh, I am skeptical of something like that. Yeah, I, I guess I feel more like, um, I assume every group of people on the planet is imperfectly, um, like inharmonious in some way, right? Uh, just because other people are, we're messy, right? Um, just like maybe every car is not like, doesn't have perfect wind resistance, right? There's always like a struggle. There's always some friction point. <laughs> um, however, to the degree you can, um, and this is not just, conjecture this is i'm looking for the book here but um my guy dan coyle's book the culture code has a lot of evidence on like as do many other books on what works at work right what are the things that make what are the qualities that consistently inspire better than expected results from teams and number one in most of those studies is something some version of feeling safe feeling psychologically safe at work feeling mm -hmm. that your best idea is welcomed so you'll share it and then the whole business gets stronger so to me on the warriors this is you can see steph sometimes right he's like whoo this might be cool 
and he'll do some weird thing, right? <laughs> Once in upon a time, it was a step back three, which was basically a bad shot until he taught us that it wasn't anymore, right? But he's done a hundred weird things because he feels safe to do those things. And on a different team, he just wouldn't have tried them, right? So I think Steve Kerr is like the greatest leader in basketball history, as far as I can tell. I don't know him wow. super well, but like he's just, he's got all these people to perform at levels that you couldn't have even pictured when their career started, right? Not to mention there was a different coach on that team and they weren't anything like as good, right? Um, yeah. Uh, although I do think the, as far as like Steph really embracing his creativity and, uh, you know, kind of beginning to break the game, I do think Mark Jackson deserves some credit for unleashing him and giving him the confidence that, in that respect. Although I certainly agree with you that Kerr uh, deserves a lot more credit for their success. Yeah. I don't mean to like, but they just weren't that good, you know? Um, and then they got a lot better. It's just like a lot of things changed, yeah. obviously. Um, and I don't pretend to know like the cause and effect, but, but I do think if you can, if you're a team that's fighting with each other, then you're probably going to go play another team where they're all fighting each other. And so it probably doesn't affect anything. But if, <laughs> if you can go a month, two months, three months of building trust, then there's a lot of evidence that suggests like you'll start seeing things out of people that you never could have anticipated, right? So maybe we lived in a league where zero out of 30 teams really had that magic going. But now there are a couple teams that seem to be building that kind of thing. And now you got to try to beat them. Right. So if you're fighting with each other and yelling at each other or whatever, it's, it could be fine, but it also, it means you're probably not getting that like, whoo, look how good Draymond is now. Or look how, look how we can plug in. I mean, how many minimum players are there on the Warriors? Like they get productive minutes from all these players that wouldn't make a lot of NBA teams, you know? Um, yeah. That's, that's super impressive to me. Uh, well, Ian Clark did have seven three pointers last night in case you were wondering. Yeah. For the, for the pockets. Um, so what are you looking for? to learn in these playoffs like what what are the most intriguing uh questions storylines whatever as we we head into the uh, 2019 postseason here um you know i'm a blazers fan so they're in some drama you know the post nurkic blazers will be probably sad end to a promising season so if i'm honest i'll be watching that but hopefully you know if they uh, i guess they're probably gonna play the jazz and if they win the first round series against the jazz that'd be cool and if they can find some three magic to progress from there that'll be i'll be like so excited um uh demarcus is very interesting to me um we had you know david thorpe wrote a big story breaking down what he saw from him a few weeks ago on true hoop and since then uh he's looked like an absolute prophet we're like david's like there's nothing wrong with demarcus and they're going to be killer with him and now the plus minus numbers are already just like oh looks like that's great um that's interesting actually ethan disagrees he called demarcus the fourth best center option on the warriors (laughs) last night (laughs) i love ethan He always has a way of saying it, right? <laughs> um, that, that'll be fun to watch right there. We just proved it, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, James Harden uh, may be the best player in the world and maybe always disappointing in the playoffs. Like, what the hell is going to happen with that? Like, if he's... Yeah, that's number one for me. Yeah. That's number one for me. Yeah. Maybe they win the West, right? Or maybe if they don't, we'll all know why, right? We're, we're already blaming him. So that's interesting. And I then... Mean, is that step back three going to go in? I mean, even, I the, even more granular than that, like this shot that he's built the last two years, but just didn't go in for whatever reason yeah. in the playoffs. Like, is that, is he going to make that shot? This yeah. Year? Maybe it's, maybe it's bad luck that he just didn't make it before. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And he's had weird flameouts in the playoffs. Not just like, Oh yeah. I mean, weird stuff. I like what is going Like what it is a legit NBA mystery. Um, and mysteries yeah. are fun. G- game six, uh, against the Spurs in 2017, 2015, when they made that comeback in game six at the Clippers, he wasn't even on the floor. You know, I mean, if they had just lost that game in the normal course of how they should have, he would have been excoriated for that too. He was bad in 2014. 
Um, you know, 24% from three against the Warriors last year. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm really very interested because he just had such a dominant regular season and it's still just so difficult to get behind him uh, for because of those playoff flameouts. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. That's for sure a thing to watch. And then I had this other, I had a little bit of an epiphany, um, epiphany, I don't know, like I, on TV, watching the Bucks, I'm like, oh, they're the Bucks. They still feels like the Bucks. Like, you know, whatever that means to you, that's what it means to me, right? Um, but when I went and watched them in Philly the other night, uh, in a building where I have been to the NBA finals, right? The, the finals were there in 2001. And you get used to like what that, you know, practices here and Kobe's over there and they're dealing the media over here. And like, there's sort of like a vibe to the finals. Um, those off days in the finals and that's happened there. And suddenly I had, and Mike Budenholzer is tan right now. I don't know why he's a, you know, from Milwaukee in winter, but he's got a tan. And if you, and the, and the Bucks are warming up and it's all like, you know, Pau Gasol was, um, you know, he's been at a gazillion finals, etc. And I'm like, I was like, and, you know, Giannis is, I, I honestly think we just stopped calling him the Greek freak. That freak name is about him just having a weird body, but he's just, in, you know, he's, he's an MVP, right? He's an incredible player. He's not a freak. He's a genius. Um, anyway, so I was like, can these Bucks really be like that team? Can they be like this team that just kind of is this comfortable? ambling around the press conferences of the finals and I, I could picture it all of a sudden i could picture it huh. and uh and i think they're the favorites to win the east and then i think the warriors win it all unless somebody's injured or whatever but um but if the warriors aren't at the top of their game i think the bucks could really win and that'll be fun i think to i'm gonna go with toronto actually i get it i, get I need it. to really think about it again, yeah again but uh, uh, oh and certainly the bucks have been awesome and it wouldn't shock me in the slightest if they win it but i i think like the, their versatility of style bontemps actually was talking about this with uh my co-host danny larue on his show uh, last week that they play kind of one way they've got the shooters they spread you out uh, on offense and Giannis goes to work and then on defense uh, they drop the big back they play very conservatively they give up a lot of threes now they do have the personnel to do some switching maybe we'll see some Giannis at center lineups that has been effective in like very uh small samples uh, this season uh, but you know are they they are so good at playing this one way, I mean, they're one of the better regular season teams in NBA history. Whereas the Raptors, you know, they haven't had everyone available. Their bench has been pretty spotty, but they also just have such an insane level of versatility. Uh, and I, I like their options on Giannis better than I like the Bucks options on Kawhi. So I think I would go with uh, Toronto if I had to decide right now. But the, I mean, that's one of the biggest questions to me is: is this Bucks style, uh, which has you know been a new kind of way of gaming the math in some ways with, with the way they take away the rim and make sure they get every defensive rebound because they take away the rim. Uh, is that going to work in the playoffs or are teams to be able to attack their specific weaknesses in that crucible? Yeah, no, I mean, look, these are unknowable questions. I, I think I had this, that one of the things that kind of struck me, um, the Bucks had a, you know, so Eric Bledsoe was tossed from the game when I was watching closely and they had to, figure it out right they, they, and it was not pretty for quite some time um but the whole time that it was not pretty it happened to be on that night chris middleton was just like hitting threes right he was it was chris middleton on that night right but it could have been Ilyasova, right or it could have been Miritich, or it could have been like a, you know it just goes on and on like pow it could there's so many pow who was in a sport coat that night right um i just felt like oh my gosh like I, dj wilson's good right this is sure. the last thing they need but like you know they have another guy. How old? He's like 22 or something, right? They There's all these bouncy, young, skilled players throwing themselves all over the court who also can hit threes and stuff. I was like, 
it's just hard for me to picture that they're going to have a big playoff scoring drought. Yeah, the, no, I think I think the other end is where I I probably have uh, some yeah. more questions, or right. if the other team gets someone who can actually approximate guarding Giannis one on one, or if you're maybe you're Toronto and you can send help on Giannis and you've just got the athletes to get out to the shooters. You know, I mean that yeah. that might be part of it too. Um, so uh, I wanted to ask you about just some of the things you've learned like career-wise I think that's fascinating but first of all what are you doing with troop what are the plans for it uh for mm. all these so, idiots who aren't subscribed yet i got a lot of um i gotta do a lot of learning uh on espn's dime for which i'm very thankful right about what works in media uh before everything was digital i put it to you no one in newspapers magazines tv radio really knew what of the things they did were successful right they just the newspaper would sell this many copies this day and you wouldn't know if it was because of the weather or because of um, where it was placed on the newsstand or because of the story and the headline, all this stuff. Online, we've just been learning, right? I, I By no genius of my own, I started on t- online full-time in 2005. So I just like got to see what works um, and have developed a lot of theories about that. And so to me, a lot of what Troop's doing is let's try to do stuff that we think has an above average chance at huge success. Um, so... You know, big investigation into Prokhorov, uh, which is like halfway done. We'll see how that goes. Um, starting this LeBron thing. Um, to me, the real coup, the thing that makes it fun to go to work is, uh, we have this little band of, uh, Judy, Don, David, and myself, um, who are exploring these things every day, uh, which is really fun. Right now, it's a subscription email newsletter is the primary product, but we're, we have grand plans to grow from there. Um, uh, in the past, we did a lot with, uh, short videos. So we'll be doing more of that. And, um, uh, we're on a podcast right now. I love podcasts and, uh, we have some um, podcast strategy in the works, but it's going to be a while. Um, but so I think that's where we're headed. And then once you're a digital media company, people like and, um, and trust and that has earned a certain reputation and has had some hits, then I think you get interesting options, right? Then you get to consider doing even more. But for now, I think let's just make good content, right? Let's, let's earn trust from, from readers and listeners and subscribers and, you know, check back with me in six months and 12 months, 18 months. And, uh, we'll, we'll see what the implications are of where we are by that time. Yeah. What I've been most impressed with both in your career and obviously starting up again is just the investigative stuff that you did. I mean, you know, even going back to like the World Wide West stuff, who I'd never heard of at the time. You know, I think you're, and this Prokhorov thing, you're just, there are not a lot of people who are willing to put the time in on some of these questions that kind of everyone seems to know as a, this unwritten thing, but that nobody actually wants to talk about. You know, so that's, uh, I appreciate that aspect. That's what I've been most impressed by with the site. No, thanks. So Look, I'm very lucky that I get to do that, right? Like, I think a lot of journalists dream of having the time to dig into stuff like that. Um, like, I went to PutinCon, right? This was a hidden uh, conference of basically Putin experts in, you know, protected by, like, counterterrorism police in a basement in Manhattan. And I got to go to that. And it was honestly one of the greatest days of my life. It was fascinating what I learned that day. And I've written a fair amount about it now. But, um, but you know, part of me is like... I get. I guess I can allow that part of me is like, why am I the only sports writer here? Actually, that's not totally true. There was one other, but um, but uh, so you know, part of me is a little bit like, guys, this is our business. We're supposed to know about uh, oligarchs, right? Like, this is what we do for a living. Um, but another part of me is like, I'm so glad I get to be the one who comes here. <laughs> like, it's really, <laughs> it's super. I'm like a little kid in the candy store. That thing, like, this was fascinating stuff. I learned a lot about money laundering, you know. Um, so uh. 
so yeah, I'm I'm super thankful to uh the people I work with uh who make it so that I can do that because it's it's a treat to me too. All right, so give me some things that you've learned crew as you mentioned. I mean, you're more conventional media early 2000s you started working online in 2005 then you brought in all these uh, local uh, writers to form the true hoop network and then you're managing uh people a lot for espn in the later years now you started your own site just for people maybe not even people who are trying to get into sports media but just anyone just career-wise anything that you want to share of things that you've learned so that uh people can uh, try to uh, avoid maybe some of the, the pitfalls that you came across or the things or and do the things that you felt were really successful yeah um i think about this a lot i i am not one of these people who's going to complain about young people today like i think that by and oh, large yeah. people that's are such brilliant. a tired term. yeah like it just kills me like like no actually uh young people today are more literate <laughs> and smarter than like any generation that we've had so far absolutely like, i mean and totally brilliant and if there's one theme and usually generational talk is just horse pucky anyway but like if there was one thing they're anxious right this is an age of anxiety as adam silver was talking about um so how do you cope with that if you're brilliant and um work really hard and you want to advance in some way but you have this kind of anxiety i i I think i get that i understand that i feel that um a couple of things i would say is uh do stuff and make mistakes and it's okay. I know that's like a yeah. common Silicon Valley thing, but it's for real. Like have things that you accomplish. No one wants to hear about what you would do if the situation was perfect, right? I, I just uh, used the wrong tense in that last sentence. Um, so, you know, you want to have <laughs> things that you got completed, right? Um, there's a little bit of the digital media world, which is kind of like America's Got Talent. Right. So, um, you just have to put on a show. You just have to do the thing. Right. I mean, you know, this, Nate, like, you know, you have to be the person who's known for that thing and it can be anything you choose, but it can't be the person who's interested in doing that thing. Like you have to be the person who does that thing day in and day out. So just do it, do your thing and learn as you go. Um, the other one is this is going to sound crazy and old manish a little bit, but I have had a ton of interactions with a ton of smart young people who had aspirations, right? And I'm surprised at the amount of time they don't deliver the thing. Um, and I th- often think it is because of anxiety. I think often there's like your big papers due and you get your stomach tied in knots about, you know, making it perfect. And so then you turn it in late or not at all. And I, as the... Oh, see, see I always just did that because I was lazy. <laughs> okay, so you're a different category. But if you're listening to this for career advice, you're probably not that guy. (laughs) um, But I feel like it, you know, never. I mean, only because it's such a competitive sports media is just ridiculously competitive. It's stupid. The other thing is don't want this. Like this isn't the right job to be in. It's a terrible time to be in media. It's just true. But um, but if if you're determined to do it anyway, like I, the the realities of the industry and the pressures and the work environment uh, are such that if you're not 100% lock to do the thing you're supposed to do by the time that it's supposed to be done somebody else is a better choice for that job like it's just sad but true so just just make sure you do it right turning in early is great you know but the anxiety that a boss has when you don't know if the work is coming or not when you're managing a bunch of moving things like you just can't put that anxiety in the boss right they're gonna want somebody who's reliable yeah yeah i I think what you said about just just doing it it resonates with me. I think it, uh, for a lot of people, it's like, okay, I, I if I start this, it's not going to be good. Like no, no one knows who I, I am. It, you're afraid of failure. And there's no reason to be afraid of, of that because 
if you fail, you're just right back off where you started again anyway. So you might as well give it a shot. And yeah, it won't be perfect, but the only way you're going to get better is by just doing it and improving. You can't just wait and wait and wait and then just never have actually started. I mean, that was one of the things that I I just had been thinking for a year and a half about how I was going to like start writing about something. And then just one day I was like, all right, forget it. I'm just going to start doing this. And things took off a little bit for me. I think the other thing I would say too, and this is just like general for career, the power of, especially when you're young, like especially if you're like in college or even grad school, of focusing on one thing like that can be very specialized, but that you are really into that maybe other people aren't. And so maybe because you have shown the interest in that thing early on and start becoming an expert on it, that proves to people who are in that field where, you know, a lot of people just kind of fall backwards into whatever they're doing. If you can actually find something that you really want to focus on, I think that can be really powerful as well. And then the other thing I would say too, is that just getting really good at something, it may not be the number one thing that you felt like you wanted to do in your life. But if you can get really good at something, like knowing that you are really good and that you are adding value in a way that other people can't, like that, I think, breeds enjoyment of whatever field you're in, ultimately. I 100% co-sign every single thing you just said. Like, and, and, and let your freak flag fly, right? Like, uh, I'm, a great crisis of sports media is people try to make it sound like sports media, right? Everybody's an amateur Charles Barkley or Jalen Rose or whatever it is, right? Um, it will be way better for all of us if we just let that go right? Show us what the future of a sports media should be like. It'll probably be uh, Jason Concepcion, right? Um, how fun is it to listen to that guy, right? Thank the heavens. He's not trying, or Shea Serrano, right? They're not trying to be anyone, right? They're they're showing us how to do a new and different kind of thing that's smarter and more fun than what came before. Thank goodness for that, right? Um, don't copy them either, right? Just <laughs> go do your thing, right? Like, like go be the best at you. Um, there's a I, based on a lot of these books I've read in the attic, like the, the thing I would put on the wall if I were to add a third sign is um, be the best at getting better, right? To your point exactly. Just, just you're, at a, you're at a seven out of 100 today, be an eight tomorrow and a, and a 150 next week, right? Just keep going. Just be the best at getting better and you can't lose. Yeah, well, hopefully we didn't like encourage someone to go be like the Jason Concepcion of tax law <laughs> with, with this advice. I mean, I'm not totally going to apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> could be awesome <laughs> that's, that's what that's what the take the takeaway is here if there's um, one thing that needs a jason concepcion it's tax law right like that's for sure yeah so bef- before i let you go by the way i i owe you a thank you i i mentioned my nascent blog back in 2012 the, the team rebound and the third post that i ever wrote was a response to a study that you had done on showing that teams with players who play a certain number of minutes hmm. uh are unlikely to win the championship basically or just don't win the championship. i can't remember what the number was i'm sure it was some three thousand if that it had been like 10 years since a team since a star of a team played more than three thousand minutes and won the championship that year okay yeah so and i mean i think the league leader is gonna be like 2600 minutes this year by the way so so certainly the idea that players were playing too many minutes in the regular season was uh quite ahead of its time back in 2012 but so i actually responded to that 
And, you know, I had some know-it-all study that I did. I remember I actually stayed up all night writing it. Uh, it was like, a, you know, a Tuesday night or something. I had to go to work the next day. I saw this. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to look into this. Like, I, and, and I mean, I was, a, I was a total dick about it. Like, I, I didn't, I thought that, like, your premise was flawed because I felt there was selection bias and that, you know, teams that need players to play more minutes in the regular season and that they just weren't that good. And that's why they weren't winning the championships as opposed to the guy playing worse. So I did the study of like, how did those stars actually play in the playoffs? And I tweeted it back at you, you know, at probably 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. East coast. And, <laughs> how many and hours you had it. you put in at that point? Yeah. I mean, probably like seven or eight. Or something like that. I mean, <laughs> awesome. Like, like your article came out that night and then I like stayed up all night and run. And, but I knew just from reading and just from like the general ethos that you projected, we'd never had any interaction before. That like you would actually be open to this criticism of your idea. And like so I thank you for that for and then you actually linked to my uh my thing in your bullets, which got me like six hundred page views, which I was completely ecstatic about uh at the time. And but like knowing that you were actually willing to like read something that I had written, which was essentially saying that I thought you were wrong, and then link to it, like that was like, that was awesome. And then, you know, I actually had a reason to talk to you at Sloan and like, you know, I started to build some relationships uh, from going there and stuff. But so just thank, thanks for being open to, you know, some idiot who'd written three posts, uh, you know, when you've written more than anyone ever had on the internet about basketball, uh, critiquing your work, uh, especially when I'm sure I was, uh, quite, uh, quite, gr uh, gruff about it i guess i should say that's not the right word but, probably nothing uh, compared to tom haverstrow's first post about my work <laughs> somewhere out there you can find it but um no man no for real um i i love that story and i'm so glad that i wasn't rude to you because that's also one of the skills i have um but uh but what i hear you saying is that you totally earned it right like there is no monopoly on smarts by working at espn or wherever like i i, I think that the um, that's an ironic thing I just said, actually. But, uh, but, you know, you put in, you're a smart guy and you put in a ton of time. And, um, of course we want that. Of course we want to hear from that, right? Like, of course I want sports conversation to be like that and not, you know, oh, Matt Johnson said, or whatever the, the, the non thinking, non doing your homework approach would be. Uh, my wife has this thing she told someone the other day. Uh, uh this is a, somebody was trying to impress me by taking me to a black tie event with a bunch of celebrities. And my wife, and I, I didn't realize what was happening until later, but when I came home, I explained it. She was like, oh, that's so stupid. Like, like the way to your heart is not like flash, right? It's just to like show up and do the work, right? That's what I love. And I do. I feel like almost like a, like, you know, like a, like a kid, a teenager with a crush. If someone's like, oh my God, he did all the work. That's beautiful. <laughs> like, like you did the work. You <laughs> stayed up all night doing the work. Like, like you earned it, right? You earned a place in that conversation, which has nothing to do yep. with me, right? Well, well done. I, I posted once a month reliably. <laughs> well, you were like a lawyer full time, right? Yeah, that yeah. is true. I was, yeah, yeah. So more than um, any other lawyer, probably. Well, well, thanks, man, for both for uh, what you've done for my career and, and everyone else's uh, career that you've launched. And uh, don't forget truehoop.com uh, to subscribe and get uh maybe the best uh investigative stuff out there uh, when it comes uh, to basketball journalism so i appreciate you taking the time harry oh nate thanks so much for having me it's great to be here at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.